Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 94, Mental Health. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. If you're new to the show, we bring in the experts to talk about all the different parts of our space agency. And sometimes we get a chance to bring in some folks from outside NASA and look at some parallels to human spaceflight that you might not even know existed. Today we're doing a special live video recording of the podcast, and we're doing it for a few reasons. One is the topic. We're talking mental health for Mental Health Awareness Month. We're in a time now where long-duration spaceflight is somewhat normal. People have been living and working on the space station for well over 18 years straight now, doing thousands of experiments. Many of those experiments are done to understand exactly what happens to the human body over time and space, looking at everything from eyes to blood flow to muscle and bone loss, and even understanding the overall mental health of our astronauts. Mental health will be a key component to understand, especially when humans travel farther away from home than ever before, and for very long periods of time. There have been studies on the International Space Station looking at this, and most of them are focused on behavioral performance and how that may change when spending six months isolated aboard a space vehicle. Sustaining this performance on board is part of operations today. We always try to imagine what it would be like to be an astronaut separated from society, adrift in interstellar space. A lot of science fiction based around spaceflight deeply examines the thoughts and emotions of an astronaut persevering through obstacles. But the reality can be quite different, even comparable to jobs here on Earth. So joining us to discuss mental health are Brent Smith, Eric Bass, Zach Myers, and Barry Kirsch from the band Shinedown. As a rock band, they're very much used to hopping on a bus and spending months on the road, traveling from city to city, focusing on their mission, and giving it their best in every place they visit over the course of several months. They have their crew that they rely on, but are separated from family and friends, maybe connecting remotely from time to time, otherwise alternating between bus and venue. It can be an isolating experience, and finding ways to support their mental health can be very important. Shinedown is connecting with us at NASA because A, they've experienced this isolation on the road plenty of times before, and B, they find mental health very important in their own lives and express these themes in their music. A lot of elements from life on the road and understanding mental health as a band can be compared to life aboard the International Space Station. So with us to draw those comparisons are NASA astronaut Mark Vandehei, who spent 168 days in space, and psychologist Dr. Jim Pacana with the University of Texas Medical Branch and NASA's Behavioral Health and Performance Group. He's part of the operations to sustain behavioral performance and the mental health of astronauts during these months in space. And of course, mental health struggles can come from all kinds of sources throughout our lives other than just isolation, and it's important to maintain this mental health. And that's what we're going to talk about today, identifying these sources. So let's kick off our live recording of Houston We Have a Podcast with Shinedown. Enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. 
Uh, we are gathered here for a special live recording of uh, Houston We Have a Podcast for a few reasons. Uh, one is it is Mental Health Awareness Month, so we're here to talk about mental health. It's something we don't uh, normally talk about, I think, uh, especially when it comes to astronauts. We usually talk about the physical health, the, the fluid shifts, you know, the bone and, and, the, and uh, muscle loss that happens on the International Space Station. But we don't really get a chance to talk about the mental health. Uh, the second reason we're gathered here today is because to really help fully tell this story, Story. We can, you know, talk about the astronaut stuff and the stuff going on in space all day, but really to help us relate it to stuff here on the ground, which is, again, one of my favorite uh, sayings, on the ground. You have to specify that it's on the planet Earth. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that, you, um, that we can relate it to is a touring rock band. So with us today is the band Shinedown, uh, connecting with us from left to right. Let's see, we have Zach Myers, there we go, uh, Eric Bass, and then Barry Kirsch on the right there. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you guys doing today? Uh, we're fantastic. I'm so glad you can actually take the time to uh, to join us all the way from Norfolk, Virginia. And the reason Shine Down is connecting with us today is uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one of them is as they have actually written about mental health. It's something that's very important to them. Uh, so they have thought about it very recently, and, and I'm excited to hear what you guys, uh, your guys' thoughts on uh, mental health, especially the isolation and the fact that you guys are a touring rock band. Uh, and then also to my right is the the whole space element. Uh, immediately to my right we have Mark Vandehy. Mark. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Mark, you spent uh, 168 days in space from September 2017 to, I believe, February 2018. Uh, you worked on a number of experiments, did a lot of spacewalk. You were a very, very busy man on the International Space Station, so I'm, sh I'm excited to hear your perspective on uh, mental health during your stay in space. And of course, uh, over here we have Dr. Jim Pacano. Jim, you are a senior operational psychologist with the University of Texas Medical Branch at Galveston in the Behavioral Health and Performance Group at NASA. Three decades of psychology experience, including in the Army, which is perfect. Sabo, you were in the Army as well. Um, and uh, contributing author to the paper called Risk of Adverse Cognitive or Behavioral Conditions and Psychiatric Disorders, which I would summarize to say how mental health and behavioral performance can be affected in space. Jim, thank you for being here. Thank you. Great to be here. All right, so of course, mental health can be stressors from all different sources, not just the isolation of being in space and uh, and touring as a rock band on the road. So we're really going to explore this here today. Thank you for joining us on Facebook Live and on NASA TV. Shine down, I'm going to throw it to you guys first. Uh, I really want to understand, so so to draw this comparison, to really get this full story of, of what it's like, really. I mean, we've, we've talked about the isolation on the International Space Station, but what it's like for you guys as a touring rock band? What are you guys going through? Um, you know, for us, first of all, I, I want to say what an honor it is to talk to you guys. Um, we all really appreciate you guys uh, allowing us to do this here. Everybody at NASA has been really awesome. So uh, thank you. I'm, I'm a uh, man. I've been a NASA fan since I was a little kid. Man, so this is, this is really cool. Um, but, uh, you know, for us, it, it's uh, it's uh, hours of, of boredom and moments of, of excitement. I think that's probably... The same thing astronauts go through, I would imagine, maybe. But uh, um, you know, it, it's kind of what it's kind of what you make it out here. You know, you, we we're very fortunate in that, and that we have a, a really good family unit on tour. Um, we all still ride the same bus. We love each other. We're we're brothers. You know, I think sometimes other some other bands might think we we have we have mental problems because we like each other <laughs> so much. Um, but. Uh, you know, for us, it, it's about being a support system for each other, and that, that's something that's really huge for for a touring band. There's a reason why 
um, so many musicians fall into drugs, alcohol, abuse, um, and deal with depression. It, it, it's a lifestyle that um, on the outside seems super exciting, and it is in, in, in some aspects, but there's nothing that can really prepare you for, for doing it. I remember that, that when I, I joined the band um, just after the band had gotten done touring their second record, so I was kind of late to the game. I wasn't an original member of the band. And I remember, uh, you know, coming into this and, and just really just thinking about how exciting it was all going to be. And then pretty quickly getting a, a dose of reality, which is the, the immense amount of, of idle time that, that, that you end up with out here. And, and how are you going to spend that? Um, I, it, it, it's probably, uh, uh, I, I end up, me personally, I end up just making work for myself a lot now. Um, I mean, I went through the period of, of, of alcohol, and, and we all did, uh, except for Zach. Zach's about the only one that, that held fast through everything. <laughs> um, but, you know, be, becoming more sober and really having to find a way to deal with the mental side of, of, uh, of being on the road all the time. Um, you know, I find work for myself. I make myself busy, um, which is something that uh, I, I know that the astronauts on the space station there, Mark, uh, they... Uh, they, they're constantly looking after experiments and doing things, and, 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 and there's always something, there's always a task to be done, and that, that's something that I, I long for. I'm a, I'm a very structured person. I grew up in a military family, so did Barry. My father was a naval commander. Barry's father was an Air Force colonel. So you're used to sort of a, a, a great structure in your house, and, and man, when you get out here, it's anything but that, or it can be anything but that. So, so really, it, it's finding a way to, uh, to create structure where there is none, and that, and you know, out, like I said, outside of just having each other, that's that's probably the, the, the second most important thing I can think of for, for us personally. Creating structure, but it sounds like that that element of connection, especially because you guys are so close, having that sort of family aspect is something that's very important to maintain throughout the entire tour. Is it, is it true for just the band too, or even, even your own families? I think it's a little bit of both. Definitely with the band, because we spend more time with each other than we do with our own families at home. Um, three out of the four of us are married and three out of the four of us have kids. Um, so we have a great home structure at home that we long for and that we miss because I think last year we were only home 31 days out of the whole year. Yeah. Um, so we are gone long stretches at a time. Um, but having the support system out here and then having supportive wives and, and that kind of thing. And we're a lot luckier in some respect that we're not way up in space and we can actually get off the bus and go wander <laughs> or uh, bring our families out occasionally when, when they have the opportunity. So, you know, those times help. But it, like Eric said, it's uh, though we have a support group, the monotony, the backstage of any venue looks exactly the same as any other venue. So you kind of, it turns into a groundhog day. Okay, today we're in a hotel. Okay, tomorrow's the show. Same thing. Here's your show time. Here's your meet and greet times. And it becomes really mundane and if you don't find something to do i think along with creating work for ourselves the biggest thing is the our health aspect and taking care of ourselves we all make it an effort now to work out together every single show day we work out on days off and having that exercise has probably <clears throat> kept a lot of those older demons at bay i think that's huge mark i'm hearing a lot of parallels when it comes to space flight now how does how does that compare from what you're hearing about what shinedown's going through as a touring rock band what, what are you doing on the space station well, there's a lot of parallels and there's a lot of differences too. What struck me is dealing with boredom. For me on the space station, um, that six-month roughly period, I 
assumed was the only six months I would ever be in space. And it felt like I couldn't possibly, like I had all these personal goals I wanted to do, pictures of places I wanted to take for people, um, pictures of things they gave me to take of things that were gifts for them later in space. Um, and in addition to that, every single day was a list of tasks that at least at first were all new. I might've been trained on them, but if you get trained on one thing for an hour and two years later you have to do it, then it's kind of hard to remember exactly what it was you were shown. Things might look familiar, but it's an environment for us where you have to do everything in exacting detail. Otherwise you're gonna break something that maybe some scientist spent their whole life trying to get to the space station. So there's a lot of pressure on every, and I'm sure when you're making music too, there's, it's about, you've got so many minute details. But for me, it was this kind of grind where I just couldn't relax. I couldn't find a time to slow down. I, I felt like even when I had free time, I had to make as good use of it as possible or I was gonna regret it. Um, making contact with family was huge. Um, the relationships on my crew, certainly a very good parallel with what you have. I was with five other people that I would call um, very, very good campers to spend time with. So <laughs> it was nice being off the planet with them. Uh, we got along great. And when one of us was having a, a hard time, we could tell and we just took good care of each other. Uh, and exercise too. Another thing that was a very important parallel with what you just talked about. Thankfully, part of that busy schedule for us involves time that NASA sets aside for us to exercise every day. Even though there was some times when I felt really sorry for myself running on a treadmill that was mounted on a wall running towards the ground with bungee cords on my hips and shoulders to hold me on the treadmill. But uh, yeah, that, that was a really important time for me to, to keep sane. Yeah, I can see a lot of the differences, especially with you having to find free time and then you guys having a lot of free time and trying to find ways to fill it. But what really struck me is when I heard about the length of time. And that was something that I think can be taxing in and of itself when you're touring for so long that you're, you don't have, I mean, it seems like you're trying to find time to fill but you're still busy, you're still isolated, you're still working, you're still on tour. What's it like, the, the length of time? How is that taxing? I mean, the, the length of it, we try to take more breaks now, but I mean, something like last year was really hard because last year, like you said, we started in March of last year with rehearsals and we were literally gone all year other than 32 days. And it wasn't like 32 days at one time, it was like, five days here, six days here. So that, that length of time gets long. But like you said, having those relationships of us actually getting along and you know, at this point we could have different buses and stuff. We don't, we actually enjoy being together. So it makes it a little easier. And like you said, we're down here, we can FaceTime, we can do things like that. And it's not, you don't have to be at a certain time of day where we can get a connection. Like I can't imagine being up there for six months at a time. And, and you know, there's only certain times a day you know, where you can call or things like that when you have a certain lot of time. I can call my wife and FaceTime and see my kids at any time. So like you said, the parallels are, are similar but very different on, on different planes, you know, as far as that goes. It's like, you know, the, the ease of things like that. But what you describe is like, you know, being up there and, and having a task to do. That's him. You know, that's yeah, I, he makes tasks I, to do. It's actually they're, they're, that's a, a, very, a very unusual, well, I say unusual, but a very interesting parallel. What you were talking about about not feeling like you had enough time and feeling like you had to always be on go with certain things. I do that to myself, and it 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 it, uh, it started as a way for me to deal with the depression, and it's kind of become a. a uh, I won't say a hindrance, but it's, it's, it's become sort of a, a, an OCD thing with me where I feel like I have a certain amount of time 
finite amount of time to accomplish things I want to accomplish, and if I'm not doing those things all the time, then I'm somehow uh, uh, being slack or, or lax or something. It's hard to relax sometimes with those things. And, and I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who said that she had the same thing, and she'd been diagnosed with something called hypermania, and I'm sure the doctor could fill me in on that. Um, uh, but it, it, it sounded very familiar to what she was saying, where, where it is really, um, and I don't know if that just comes with being away, you know, away from home or something, but always feeling like that I need to be um, moving forward and accomplishing things. Um, you know, rather than letting the, uh, you know, because we, we, we have a saying out here, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just a saying, but it's, you know, you stop, you die. You know, we, we, can't, we can't put on the brakes, we can't pump the brakes, you know, we have to, to keep moving in order to keep, for me, to keep the depression at bay and that sort of thing. So um, I did identify with what you said about, about feeling like, you, you know, you have to be going all the time and, and doing your experiments and that sort of thing and staying on top of it. Uh, uh, the, the work I'm doing maybe isn't as, as scientifically important, but, uh, but definitely that I had that thing where I, I, I feel like I have to move, move, move. And uh, Mr. Smith, Mr. Brent Smith has joined us. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Um, he, actually was not, he actually was not on a treadmill uh, attached to bungee cords <laughs> running <laughs> I, I, most, I most certainly wasn't. Um, I had an altercation with a polar bear. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we're, uh, we're, you know, it was a misunderstanding. I apologize for my tardiness. <laughs> <laughs> no worries at all. We're happy to have you. All right. So, so um, Eric, what you were talking about, um, has to deal with sort of, uh, you, you know, filling the time, keeping yourself busy. Mark, when you were on station, did you feel that the busyness, the, the, the rapid pace of everything on station did keep you distracted or was it mentally taxing to have all of those things? It depended a lot on how successful I felt about keeping up with the plan. So the way it works on the space station is we have a schedule that the ground very carefully coordinates, deconflicts so that even little things like making sure that the one place where we can um, simulate lifting weights, um, that only one crew member is scheduled for that at a time, for example. Um, that schedule shows up as a, uh, a graph where everybody's got a line on it, and the current time of day shows up as a red line. And that red line just keeps marching across the day, and you've got chunks that are activities, and you can click on your activity to any of the space station computers, and it'll tell you, hey, that activity means you do these things. And it's got step by step. It's kind of like Christmas morning, putting together toys all day, every day of the week. <laughs> and then the, the good news is at first, it, well, the, the challenge is at first, when you look at that, you're like, I don't even, wow, I'm not even sure what that sentence means. Much like sometimes when you're putting together a toy. Um, but as time goes on, you get more and more of those activities that are something you're familiar with. And you can look at the whole plan and be like, oh, I got that. This is all familiar. Yeah. But at the beginning, it's the unknown part. And when you realize that this was only scheduled for an hour, it took me an hour and a half to get done with it. Now I'm working on the next thing and you keep falling farther and farther behind. So at first, when that happens more frequently, it's challenging. As time goes on, you start getting ahead further and further and you're able to, to it feels really good when you're a little bit ahead of the timeline and you can look at your other crewmates and say, hey, how are you doing? Can you use any help on this? And that I, those are my best days when I was able to help other people with their stuff instead of needing help from other people all the time. Jim, I think this is a good time to bring you in because you are a senior operational psychologist. And I think that means 
you're involved in the day-to-day stuff. You're involved what's what's happening with the st- with the crew on board the station now. So what so what's your job? What are you doing to help the crew? Yeah, so I, that may be a term that's probably unfamiliar to a lot of people. Operational psychologist. Um, actually, it's a just a general um, framework. What we do is work with personnel who are conducting uh, real-world high-risk missions, uh, like astronauts. Our background comes from the DOD, where there are a number of operational psychologists who support soldiers um, who also have to conduct these harsh and uh, very dangerous missions. And our role is to, uh, in a sense, keep high-functioning people functioning and healthy. So we really try to optimize and enhance their health and well-being, their behavioral health and well-being. In our business, it's much easier to prevent a problem than to have to intervene with a problem. As you can imagine, it'd be very difficult for us to intervene with a behavioral health problem on the station. We're not there, um, and there are certain limitations in what we can do. So we have a whole spectrum of things that we do um, to help support astronauts once they're deployed on station. Um, But our work really begins well before then in the life cycle of an astronaut. So we'll get involved in the um, evaluations of uh, their suitability, uh, an applicant's suitability to become an astronaut. Because one of the best ways for us to prevent a problem is to make sure that we have only folks um, who are uh, psychologically um, suitable to do the work uh, of an astronaut or a special operations soldier or uh, one of the other kinds of uh, special jobs that are out there that that involve high risk and uh, high stress. So our work begins very early on in trying to find the right person uh, for the job. Um, Once that part is done, uh, we get involved in the training of astronauts from a, a behavioral health perspective. Um, And here at NASA, we train in aspects of uh, what we call expeditionary skills, which um, really take the many competencies that people like Mark have and try to uh, develop those in areas that are important to uh, living and working in space for prolonged periods of time. And so we will um, uh, work on some of the very things that you guys were talking about um, uh, and uh, we train and uh, educate in those areas. Like, for example, the importance of self-care, taking care of yourself when you're on the road, um, the same as an astronaut. Um, providing that self-care is very important in order to maintain the reserves that you need to perform effectively on the job. Um, as Mark has said, and as you probably have figured out, the space environment is a very depleting environment. It takes a lot of your physical and mental energy. And so you have to work really hard to do that. So we have another part of our job where we will be involved with um, astronauts once they are deployed on station um, through a series of countermeasures that are deployed on station, as well as time that we get to to talk with them um, in something we call a private psychological conference. And that is part of a spectrum of of, um, services that we provide to try to optimize the payroll health of our of our folks. Yeah, just one one of the many things to sort of keep them going. One of the things I, I picked out was was you know in, in the terms of astronaut selection, you're talking about th- these guys, Mark included, were selected for a purpose. They are ready. They are ready for spaceflight. They are not only physically and and they have the they have the knowledge, but they're mentally ready for that. 
Shinedown, when it comes to you guys going on the road, you know, I think creating music might be one thing, but then touring and performing music is another thing you got to be mentally ready for. How do those, how do those things compare for you? Um, well, we don't, uh, we, we really don't cross pollinate those two things. Actually, we don't write very much on the road. We, uh, we, we tend to take time off to write. It's, it's way easier for us to be creative when we're not touring because touring is so grueling and regimented. Um, but uh, it, it, it parallels just what you guys were saying. Um, we have we have a saying that is uh, either you're built for this or you're not, you know. And and um, what we mean is, is you're either built to, to do this in a healthy way or you're not. I mean, we see plenty of people fall apart who can't handle it. Um, and uh, we're just actually we didn't have a, uh, a, a psychological program we could go through <laughs> to, to see if we were or not. Uh, I think our psychological program was a lot of trial and error. And, uh, it would have been we, very helpful, though. It would have been very helpful, actually. <laughs> I, I say wouldn't or would have. Would have. Would have, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, we... Um, we try to never go to bed angry. Yeah. Basically. I mean, it, sure. is, it is definitely like a marriage. Um, we've also been doing it for two decades. Um, we were lucky enough in the beginning, uh, in the very early... 20s of our career, um, we kind of got some of the chaos out of the way. Um, and as we got older and as the craft of songwriting and then building the performance started to grow because we wanted to go the extra mile on that, um, we started just keeping each other in check even more. We're very lucky because we have the four of us on the road. Um, the other thing too is we're in a position in our career where if we wanted to ride in separate buses, we could. If we wanted separate dressing rooms, we could. Uh, we choose not to do that because we actually genuinely respect and love one another. Um, and we're also on the road 280 days out of the year, if not more. So uh, for us, we have to kind of keep each other in check. Yeah, yeah I'm, hearing, I'm hearing a lot of um, elements when it comes to when you guys started you just sort of had to hit the ground running. You know, you, you started music and, and you were touring and you were just going. And I think there's sort of a parallel there, Mark, when it comes to training, because you're not necessarily, it's not like you get selected and you get launched up to the station. You are you are preparing very much for, for your trip to space. And I think it's important, not only from the aspect of actually getting prepared for the systems part, for the science part, for all of those parts, but for the relationship part, because who you're training with are the people I think you would ultimately fly with. There's there's parts of that are true and parts of that are not. So okay. the interesting thing is when we train as, for example, I was initially going to be one crew member from the United States on a Russian spacecraft with two Russians. And so my, my crew mates lived in Russia. They would train. Um, I would show up for a limited amount of time and train with them. But when I was back in the United States, I was on a separate schedule from other astronauts. Sometimes I would cross paths with somebody, but it wasn't like I had a shuttle crew of six people um, in addition to me that was going to train everything together, at least always do like tr spacewalk training would be four people all working together, maybe a couple people coaching the people in the water training um, while the people are actually going to do the spacewalk underwater. Uh, so as a space station crew member, it's much more isolating in, in that regard. Um, in fact, someone I was working in Washington, D.C. recently, and someone said it must be, must be much more exciting working in the astronaut office than working in NASA headquarters. 
and I was so engaged with real getting things done, making decisions, lots of people contact, much more like when I was in the military, that I said, you know, actually working in the astronaut office is much more like being a student where I'm working all day in the library, and then every now and then I go to a club meeting type of thing. <laughs> so there's lots of studying, lots of trying to, trying to make sure that your individual skills are really good. Certainly, I can also relate to when I was in Russia training, we'd have a limited number of people from the United States. We'd all, we would live together. We had options to live in one of six cottages, and those cottages could have th three people living in each one of them. It was always better for me when I was living with somebody else because you know I'd wake up, have that casual conversation while I was getting a cup of coffee. If I was trying to study something and the other person had the class recently or was in the class with me, if I had a question, I could say, hey, what does this mean? And I ended up being a much more effective student and person when I had that kind of casual, real easy contact that's just associated with having people in the proximity. Mm -hmm. we're, talk we're talking a lot about relationships. I do want to shift gears a little bit, go back to mental health and kind of read some stuff about mental illnesses. Um, overall, one in six Americans have a mental illness um, and 4.2% of adults identify as having a severe mental illness that significantly um, impairs functioning. A lot of these are 18 to 25-year-olds. We're talking about the younger generation. When it comes to anxiety disorders, uh, it has 3.1%, but these are 2016 numbers. These numbers are keeping to increase. It's, it seems like it's a topic that is, is very much present but it's not something that we normally talk about. So guys, uh, you guys have written about music, sh uh, written in your music about mental health, shared it with the world. Tell me about what, the, what you think about that, about the fact that we're not sharing mental health and how it is important to, to bring this up and to talk about it. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's sad that, that you can, uh, you, know, you break your leg, go to the doctor, get fixed. And, and you walk around on crutches and the whole world can see that you're on crutches and everybody is sympathetic to your plight and, uh, and uh, you know, offering you, uh, uh, you know, goodwill and, and hope you get well soon and everything else. And, and it's much more difficult with, with, with having depression, at least for, for me, to, uh, this is the first time I've ever, I've ever talked about it really was on when we did this record, our, our most current record. And um, because uh, our Brent, you know, Brent and I were writing a song together, and he brought the song in, and it was about he had written lyrics about me and what I go through, and and it was very personal. So, um, you know, I had always chosen to keep those things between my wife and myself and my 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 friends, and and that was really it, um, because I, quite frankly, I was embarrassed about it to to an extent. You know, I, you you don't want to show the the chink in the armor, you know, the 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 the, the scars and the imperfections in your mind, and. Um, because it's such a personal thing, and um, I think that's where that's where the stigma comes from. Is nobody wants to show any mental weakness. We're not a, a society that really s smiles on that sort of thing. It's not a weakness, but you just don't want to show any any sort of uh, um, imperfections, let's say. And uh, it's um, you know I, I really think it's time to start viewing these things as as what they are. Just just another. Um, you know, physical, chemical makeup of your brain that, that causes you to, to have certain feelings and be a certain way. Um, there, there are tools and, um, and help available to, to fix it, just like putting a cast on your leg, you know. Um, and I think social media has a lot to do with the, with, with the way the numbers are going for kids having anxiety or young people having anxiety um, because everything is so hyper- um, 
microscope. Yeah, you're under a microscope. Everything seems so, so you know, it, it, when I was younger, I wasn't aware of what was going on a thousand miles away from me. Right now, you know, it, it's there in an instant. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't think there are any more problems in the world than there were, uh, you know, uh, 40 years ago. I just think that they're more present. They're, they're more available. So you feel like the sky is falling. And, and it can, believe me, I've, I've had, I've had uh, uh, times when I just, I sign off of all social media and, and I, because I have to. I find myself starting to fall into moods because of things that I see or the way people are talking to me or, or the way people are talking about friends of mine or whatever. And, and uh, um and also, people are, are more uh, more apt to be uh, 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 a little braver online than they're going to, they're going to be in in personal everyday uh, encounters. I think I think a lot of that feeds into the to the numbers we're seeing, um, and and you know the anxiety, especially that people feel. Um, that, that I can't imagine being a young person and coming up now and and. Uh, Everybody, I say everybody. I mean, it's kind of painting a broad stroke, but uh, people seem to be so judgmental online, and then you, you're going to go out in public and and you know put yourself out there, and it makes it, 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 it could make you very much want to 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 just stay inside. Yeah. I think there's another bigger picture too that he's touching on, which is the fact that there is there's a difference between being depressed and there may be a, a chemical imbalance or there might be a physical um, issue going on and then having a case of the Mondays. You know what I mean? Like there's a big difference in that. I'll give you an example for me, something about two and a half years ago, I had to do personally for me in regards to social media, like Eric was saying, um, Zach has a really, really good quote that he kind of keeps us in check with just looking at the big picture. He's always said, it's not about the painter, it's about the painting. So you have to look at everything from all angles sometimes, and that's difficult to do. But something I started doing about, I guess it was about a year and a half ago, I have two alarms when I wake up, whether I'm on the road, I'm touring, or I'm just out in my life. Um, the first alarm wakes me up, and then the second alarm is an hour after that. For the very first hour that I'm up in the morning, that's mine. I don't look at my phone. I don't really talk to anybody. And they know when I kind of come in, they're not, they know that I'm not being rude. They're like, he just woke up, he's got an hour. Cause that's my meditation. You know what I mean? That's a way for me to center myself because guess what? It, this, the phone isn't gonna go away. You know what I mean? It's not gonna be gone tomorrow and neither is anyone's comments or opinions. You have to try to find, I think, especially for the younger generation too, it's such a different, you know, this instant gratification, it takes a little bit of adjusting and you're always going to be adjusting, but you got to do it for you. You know what I mean? Like, and what I mean by it is you have to live your life, you know, in the way that's going to make you happy first before you'll ever make anybody else happy. I think sometimes people forget that, but it's something you got to keep in check, you know? And on the other side with Eric and, you know, all that we were doing, um, really, putting ourselves out there in the last year and a half uh, with what we do, um, I learned more about him. You know what I mean? I learned so many wonderful, beautiful, artistic, you know, interesting things about him. I learned a ton more about Barry. I learned a ton more about Zach. And we learn a ton more about each other because once again, we talk to one another. He, he, he pinpointed something that a lot of people are having an issue with whether you're younger, middle-aged, or you're a little bit older. People do not need to, they don't need to feel ashamed 
because they feel a little off. You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with you and you shouldn't feel embarrassed. If you need to talk to somebody, go talk to them. And here's the other thing. If you notice somebody out in your own life, even if it's a total stranger and you can tell there's something off, maybe go up to that person and ask them how they're doing. What we don't want people to lose in the big picture, don't lose your humanity. Don't lose your empathy for each other. Build each other up. There's no reason to bring each other down. Empathy is a big word that, that comes up a lot when we're talking about these things. I, I, that's such a huge thing is, you know, you never forget, you know, I, I think there's that quote, you know, be kind to everyone because you don't know what they're going through or what battle they might be fighting. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's something that seems to kind of get lost in this age of, of like he says, hyper, hyper technology and hyper speed and everything else is, is just being empathetic to other people and, and, uh, and what, and what they could be going through. Um, you know, it's, it's just such a, uh, it, it means a lot. I'll tell you that. I mean, look, when, when these guys come to me and they, they can tell when I'm down, it really does help just them asking, Hey, you okay. You know, and I might be okay. I might just be having a, you know, a time and I, and I know I'm okay. And I'll tell them I'm okay. If I'm not okay, I'll tell them I'm not okay. Um, we have that kind of relationship and that's really, really important to us. Um, you know, as a band is, is being able to be open like that. I'll have some, sometimes when I go, uh, at the end of the last European run that we did, it was, it was getting, it was, it was cold. It was, it was, it was wintertime in Russia, Mark. So there you go. You can, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> so it's not the best, uh, landscape for depression either, but you know, I was spending a lot of time by myself and, and with, without a lot to do because we were over in Europe and, and. Um, I didn't have all the creature comforts with me and that sort of thing. And, and I was going pretty dark, you know, I was having a really tough time. I was sort of, it was almost a self-imposed, uh, isolation in, in some, in some ways. I didn't feel like seeing people and that sort of thing. And they really kept me in check. They, they could see something was wrong, you know, and, and, uh, it's just, it's just so important to have, uh, you know, to, to have people around like that. And, and once again, I think that kind of leads us back to what, you know, some of the problems with, with, with space travel and being isolated for, for, you know, vast amounts of time, or you can be isolated, like coming going to Mars or whatever, you know, that, that, that's right now with, with the current propulsion, that's what, like six months or something just to get there by, you know, in a, in a, in a spaceship with you and a, a few other people, that would be, uh, that could be really mind numbing if you're, if you're not mentally prepared, even if you are, like I said, I'm built to do this job. I'm built to be out here on tour and it still becomes, uh, you know, something that, that the, the, the internal battle sometimes is, is, can be pretty daunting. I think, I think a major theme, what you're talking about, Eric and Brent, is, is um, the fact that you're, you're identifying these things. You're, you're recognizing these problems and you're, and you're thinking about them. And I think that's something that's very important to make human spaceflight successful is to recognize it, to identify what could be the problem, how could, how could these things be affected. And Jim, that's, uh, you're doing a lot of that work. You, that, that paper you wrote was identifying these are the risks that could of behavioral performance, was the, was the main thing, mental health and behavioral performance for human spaceflight. What are those risks? What, are the, um, what, what have you identified as risks to, that could affect human spaceflight? Well, first of all, let me just say thank you guys for the courage to share your stories um, and to share what you are doing because um, that goes a long way to helping others come forward and getting the help they need. Uh, with folks like you and other celebrities and athletes 
actually doing that, role models for kids, for example, who are really struggling, um, it's really great that you're willing to put yourselves out there and do that so that others can see you and know that you can be successful, you can be popular and get help and and we really thank you for for that. So when it comes to um, the uh, kind of psychological aspects of uh, spaceflight, um, you know, it, it, we've talked about how harsh the environment can be uh, physically. Um, and uh, typically, as we think about even the current ISS and future missions, um, the environment is one of... Um, you know, microgravity, high carbon dioxide levels, um, social isolation, and isolation, say, from loved ones and um, friends, family, and even happenings here on the planet, our, our culture, uh, what's going on in the world. Um, confinement, the idea that you can't step outside and catch a breath of air if you really just want to clear your head. It's hard to get away in a small environment like that. And even though the ISS is a... a well-developed habitat for its place in in, in, it, in its development, um, it's not like being here. And um, you, there are just certain things that aren't available to our astronauts um, for coping. And so um, the other uh, piece of that, I think, is... Um, you know, the stress of performance that, that we're talking about, that Mark was talking about, having to be... Um, you know, having to, to work um, with the precision um, uh, and with the intensity and, and take, for example, the threats that are, um, you know, to performance, say, in a spacewalk. Mark's done, you know, four spacewalks. The intensity of concentration in that really dangerous environment where you really have this feeling like you have to pay attention to what you're doing always and there's not much, there's almost no room for error. And so all of those are kinds of psychological stressors. Um, and uh, the ones that we get most concerned about that, because our astronauts are technically highly skilled and very well trained, are the kinds of things that have to do with the environment itself um, and the conditions psychologically. Um, one of the things that was impressive to hear you guys talk about was um, sort of how a crew gets along, the cohesion that you feel, the um, attention you have to others' morale and taking care of one another. That's very much what we are hoping our crews will develop on orbit, to have that kind of connectedness to one another, to watch each other, to take care of one another, um, and to... Um, develop that sort of bond. And that's, that's a very important uh, feature of being able to cope and adapt in space. But it's a bit of a double-edged sword because Mark is there with four or five of his very best friends, and that's it. Uh, there's something that we call social monotony. So, you know, can you imagine um, having that sort of like you described on your tour bus? You are there day and night together, and while you know each other very well, sometimes you just want a break, right? And you want to kind of to have that uh, alone time or maybe to talk to other people. And so uh, there are some things on station that help with that. For example, private crew quarters, the ability to kind of get away, get into your phone booth size, Mark, I guess, uh, crew quarters. I don't know if people even know what a phone booth is anymore, but small. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who knows? Watch Superman movies. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but to get away and have some quiet time, to recharge, to, you know, just be 
a little bit by yourself. That's important in, in sort of taking care of yourself when you're in that kind of environment. Um, so despite the isolation um, that we talk about in a, in a vehicle that's uh, orbiting the Earth or on its way to the moon or Mars, um, you actually need private time, even though you are, quote, isolated. So that's, an, that's another example of how these stressors play out. Now, we have things that we have our astronauts have available to them to cope with these. And um, if you think about isolation and confinement, for us, it's sort of think about the opposite. How do you normalize that kind of environment so that it feels a little bit more like home? And so we're fortunate to have a bunch of countermeasures available to our astronauts to be able to counteract some of those stressors uh, involved. Like, for example, the opportunity to call home that, that you guys mentioned, you know. Yes, it's not the same as taking your cell phone and, you know, calling any time, but it's pretty good as long as we have um, the communications available. We also um, are able to connect our astronauts with their families. It's only once a week, but they get a video call with their families, and it's an opportunity to you know, be in the family, be with the kids, be with the spouse and, uh, you know, see what's going on at home. You know, it's a, it's a way to maintain that connection. We, you know, pipe up uh, current events, movies, uh, music, uh, things that astronauts can use to stay connected um, here uh, with events down on, on the earth. So they don't get that sense of isolation and confinement. Yeah, it's like that free time is not just, uh, you know, here's some time. It's, it's actually important to have that sort of time for that mental relief when you're so busy on the space station. Mark, what do you remember from your expedition about the, the team dynamics and, and the free time and alone time that you needed during your, your stay? So one of the team dynamics that kind of makes me smile was, uh, so I ended up launching with Joe Acaba, another US astronaut, and Sasha Mazurkin, the commander for the spacecraft. And I, I love both Joe and Sasha a ton, but because I spent more time with Joe, Joe and I worked out uh, a thing. I know I can be really goofy or overly serious. And I told him, hey, if I'm ever being, if I'm being too goofy, if it's starting to look like I'm being unprofessional or I'm kind of getting too grumpy, just look at me and say mid-range. And he didn't do it very often. But when he said mid-range to me, I'd be like, really? Is it that, a, really? <laughs> so I needed that feedback mechanism and, that, and it cracks me up because uh, he would definitely be the, the guy that would do that. And the other thing was uh, the sense that like, we had a lot of fun just giving each other a hard time about stuff. And I knew if I did a minor thing that was irritating, instead of going to bed angry about it, he would make a joke about it. And then I would just open it up. It would be, we'd get it out there. I'd know that that was an issue. I wouldn't do it anymore. Um, I probably got some funny stories I shouldn't share here about exactly the details <laughs> of that. Um, but yeah, that was really helpful for me. Somebody, somebody who would give me feedback that I knew was feedback from a good place where I knew they were on my side. And the reason they were telling me these things that might not be comfortable for me to hear was in my best interest to hear. So what about uh, what about the idea of alone time or free time for you? What did you did you did you need that or where, was it you get enough space where it wasn't really a requirement? I definitely needed it. We we kind of had a rule where so on a weekend we have a lot of time off. Um, basically, there's three hours of house cleaning on any given weekend, and then ideally it's just your time. And if somebody we imagine uh, the four bedrooms, the four crew quarters, the really little closets but you've got one person on the ceiling, one person on each wall, and one person on the floor, and it's basically phone booths, like you mentioned, mounted in each of those locations. The direction doesn't really matter. But 
they're all in close proximity to each other. And if you're an energetic person like I am in the morning and you want to get moving and you want to have a conversation right next to those crew quarters where you got another crewmate that's next door, um, if somebody had their door shut, we knew that that meant they needed quiet time. So we should try to stay quiet outside there. That's just a little, little cultural thing we had on the space station. But there was times when I, on a Saturday morning, I might be feeling a little worn out and I would just be there. I'd have a laptop in there. I'd start watching a movie. And uh, that was a nice way to just decompress. Just time by yourself. But you, but you had the weekends. Guys, I don't think you have weekends when you're, when you're touring. <laughs> we generally have, uh, you know, two shows on, one day off, three shows on, one day off, two shows on, one day off. Occasionally, we'll have two, we just got done with two days off in a row, which never happens, uh, which we really enjoyed. But we can go get a hamburger. We can go get a hamburger. Where it's right, yeah. We can't, uh, we're not up there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, actually, the, the, I have a question for both Mark and, I think it's for both Mark and Dr. Jim there. You both probably chime in on this. So for me, um, one, one of the issues that I have being on tour is my hobbies. So my hobbies that I love to do and the things I love to do really aren't conducive to being on tour. Um, and I've had to... Uh, kind of find creative ways to to occupy my time um, when I can't do those things. Is it something where, uh, um, where Mark, did you have to, did you have any hobbies that you could take with you up there? Or Jim, do you guys give the astronauts, uh, is that something that goes into psychological training is maybe cultivating new hobbies that maybe they can get into in a, in a space environment or something like that to where, um, because I, honestly, those things I, I think, uh, uh, Brent likes to quote uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, a lot. He has this thing about find your anchor, you know, find that thing in your life that you can anchor yourself to. And uh, that's a hard thing to do for, for me on tour is having my anchor. And I just didn't know if, if that was something that was, you know, that, 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 like I said, once, once again, that, that Dr. Dr. Jim, as you guys would, would suggest to them to find something they can do in a, in a space station environment or Mark, was that something that you, you already have something other than maybe watching movies that you could, that you could do? Well, so there's one thing I brought forward with me to the space station, reading. I would like reading, and it turned out that if I was spending too much time on a screen just before going to bed, I wouldn't be able to fall asleep very well. So I, f I managed to find a little, we call them cargo transfer bags, full of, of books that other people had left behind or someone had sent up on a care package. So I, I started reading a real book before going to sleep. That helped me out a ton. Um, but a hobby that was great on the space station to learn about was photography because we had a lot of really, really good cameras. I mean, and with lenses that were so big, I probably couldn't lift them um, on the ground, but they, of course, they just float in space. Um, and a lot of good advice on how to use the cameras and incredibly good subject matter to take pictures of. So that was a new hobby that I picked up in space. And then finally, I guess a hobby that I missed, I couldn't possibly be doing. I really love water sports. I'm, I'm a very fledgling surfer. I'm just still trying to learn. But I like, I like uh, uh, windsurfing, and I couldn't do any of that, certainly in space. And I missed being outside and kind of the feel of the water and the wind and, and sand. So It did remind me of one thing that is part of our um, countermeasures, and that is something that we call a crew care package. And it's a little bit like... Um, exactly what it sounds like, like when uh, parents might send care packages to their children at camp or in college. Um, and, uh, you know, Mark gives you a sense of these uh, bags. They're not very big. And so there's not much you can put in in them. But to the um, to the point of 
supporting hobbies, as you can imagine, is quite limited because of the environment, uh, you know, and the constraints um, on things that you can fly in space because of the danger it might present to our astronauts. But one of the things that we have sent up in these crew care packages, and you guys will appreciate this, are musical instruments. And so um, there are instruments on board the station, and, you know, astronauts never cease to amaze me at, with how talented they are. You know, they are folks who can do multiple different things really well. And um, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> so I always am impressed by how, uh, how talented they are. And we've had some really talented musicians on station. And um, of course, you know, we've had um, a French astronaut play the saxophone on station. We have guitars on station. And um, so folks who have music as a hobby and play music as a hobby, um, there's actually a NASA astronaut band, I believe, Mark. Um, that uh, I, don't Next know if Q, I don't know if it's still active, but yeah. we certainly have had so there are instruments on the space station, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, um, when you're when, when you're thinking about these um, these mental health ways to relax, think, th focusing on this, especially with the space station, which has been in orbit for more than twenty years and continuously habited for, I think it's coming up on nineteen now uh, years straight. Um, things are think are going to change when we go forward to the moon. We're talking about going back to the moon, twenty twenty four boots on the moon. What can we take from space station to the moon, and what's what's different? Hmm. Well, fortunately, we uh, we've learned a lot about uh, what keeps folks healthy in space, and um, we we basically use um, a couple of parameters that we sort of figure these things into when we decide how to provide those kind of countermeasures. The first is habitable volume. The larger the space, obviously, the better, and. Um, the uh, the other is the austerity of that environment, how mature that environment is for what it can provide. And so, you know, this, as you point out, the station is a fairly large habitable volume and it has a lot of, uh, in its maturity, has a lot of, quote, creature comforts. And I say that really in quotes because it's yeah. not a truly comfortable place, but there are some things there. And so we're going to give up some of those creature comforts for sure as we look at you know, the upcoming lunar missions, for example, and maybe future Mars missions, because the vehicles will be smaller and they will be more austere. Um, so we won't be able to have musical instruments, for example, on board as some of the other, the robustness of the exercise equipment and all that sort of stuff that we that we rely on now. Fortunately, much of the stuff that, that we rely on um, are, are effective in the short term for us because we rely on communications, bandwidth, and the ability to load data files. And so the ability to keep music going up to the station for their enjoyment, videos and movies, and to have real-time communications back home so that Mark can make a phone call to his family, um, to see his family um, on a video screen um, and, you know, have a conversation with them. And so fortunately, those will be available to us um, in the upcoming missions to the moon because we'll have real-time communication. And hopefully, um, the engineers will give us the bandwidth that we, that we ask for to do that. Uh, things will change dramatically as we think about going to Mars. We will lose real-time communication at some point and there'll be a communication delay. So we're gonna to need to rethink how we provide some of these things for the future and how we manage those expectations. Um, you know, you guys mentioned earlier the ability to sort of tune out from social media because of the overload of just having immediate communication all the time. Um, but we're raising future generations to be kind of communicate that way, you know, to send it a brief text message and to communicate in, a, in that kind of way 
instead of, say, picking up the phone and having a conversation or seeing somebody face-to-face and having a conversation. And so I worry a little bit about future generations that are used to communicating in instant time um, and that not being available, you know, not having the ability to, you know, have a Skype session because of calm delay or have a phone call or send a text message or an email. Um, And so we're going to have to think about some other ways to keep people connected, to manage the expectations around communication, and to try to maximize the technology that we have available to support folks in space. Yeah, the moon gives you those constraints of stuff you can bring, but at least you have a little bit more communication that gets a whole lot harder when you go further to Mars. Uh, I did want to get to some social media questions. We're nearing the end here, but uh, we got one actually directed to you guys, Shinedown. This one comes from Gail. She's asking, I'd be interested in your perspective about how depression and other mental health issues can have an impact on touring musicians while at the same time music can be therapeutic for others struggling with similar issues. I feel like we've talked a lot about this, but this is a good question. Uh, do you find that music can offer you solace in trying times? And I guess you can kind of broaden that to to playing music and, and listening to music, especially while you're on tour. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one common theme that we, we we run into a lot in our meet and greets on a daily basis with our fans is, you know, thank you so much. You have no idea what your fan has done for us, um, what, what you've helped us through. And I like to turn to them and say, I absolutely do know. And, and you know, I, I, or they'll, they'll say something to the fact, I don't think you know what it means, what, what your band is meant to be. And, and I like to say, yes, we, we absolutely do know. We're all fans of music and we're all fans of other bands and other artists. And we, we absolutely find solace in, in music. It's, it's therapy. It's, uh, I think it's the best kind of therapy. Um, you, can, you can listen to the right song and discover things about yourself that you were... Maybe you didn't realize that you never knew about, or or maybe you're you're trying to 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 flush out a or flush out a problem that you're having in your head about yourself or something in your life, and a, and a song can just click on a light bulb like that, and and it's it's one of the the main blessings of our art form is that uh, um, you know music is 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 so objective not subjective you can find whatever you want to find in it and pull meaning out of a song that. Um, yeah, Brent and I have been talking about this a lot lately, where where a you know, movie is something that is presented to you in its finished form, and there's really not much you can grab outside of what's presented to you. Um, same thing with a, with a, I won't say so much with a painting. People can find different things in paintings and, and whatnot, but music's one of those really rare art forms where you know you're you're, you're painting on air. You know, they're, they're, it's purely a uh, an, an oral uh, you know sensation, and and you're you're taking it in. Um, through your ears, and, you, and you're, 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 you can turn it into whatever you want to turn it into. You can find meaning that you need in it, um, and uh, that, that's what makes it so beautiful. And that, that's what helps me with it anyway. Is, is that I can, I can, I can hear songs, and, and you know, they might mean one thing to me that, that is so helpful and so therapeutic, and that's not at all what the artist intended for it to be about. Um, it's, it's a pretty, uh, a pretty amazing. Uh, Pretty amazing uh, wand that we wave, being musicians and songwriters, and uh, and to put it back on the audience too. I mean, at the end of that, we have a saying in this band, and it's very real. Um, we only have one boss; it just happens to be everybody in the audience. And um, they've given us a platform, ultimately, to be ourselves and bringing it back to music. You know, I, I've said this quote for many, many years because I think it's a beautiful quote, but. Uh, you know, there was a philosopher that once said that without music, life would be a mistake. 
Yeah, and uh, and that was Frederick Nietzsche. And so inside of that too, you know, it's uh, we were doing an interview the other day, me and him, and he touched on it a second ago. You know, why is music so much different than other art forms like a film or a book? And those stories are presented, they're finished, they're done, and they're in their raw but finished form. A song, no matter where it came from, when it was recorded, you know, for that individual can take you to the place you need to be to build you back up if you're down, if you're heartbroken. Music always has a way, and songs especially, to kind of come on at the right moments and heal your heart. You know what I mean? I mean, we've seen, we witnessed it with our own eyes. You know, we've watched music cure cancer. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's a powerful, uh, it, it's just a wonderful, powerful, I don't even know what to call it. It's, it's on its own level, <laughs> you know? And the thing is that's great about that is that it continuously evolves, you know? And it means something different to, to everybody. The albums that we listen to, the genres we listen to, um, it's always there for you. It's never going to turn its back on you. Fascinating. Guys, what an awesome discussion. This was an absolute pleasure to have you here, especially um, uh, Mark Vandehei and Jim Picano. Thank you so much for coming on. And a very special thanks to you, Shine Down, for taking the time all the way from Norfolk, Virginia, uh, for coming on today. This was a fascinating discussion. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Cool. All right. That'll do it for us. Uh, we are recording. This is obviously live, but we're recording it. We'll send it out as a podcast. You can find us. Houston, we have a podcast on NASA.gov. Thanks for tuning in. And while we sign off, I think I'm going to get a selfie of this moment because it is, it is awesome. Thanks again, guys. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I really hope you enjoyed this live uh, recording we did with Shinedown. It took a lot of work and a lot of people to have it all come together, and I'm very happy that it did. It was a very interesting topic. Uh, if you want to listen to this podcast or many others, go to nasa.gov slash podcast. Mark Vandehei was on the space station from September 2017 to February 2018. You can look at all the things that he's done and all the things that are going on right now aboard the International Space Station at nasa.gov slash ISS or our many social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Check out them all and use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show. Make sure to mention is for Houston. We have a podcast. So this episode was recorded on May 17th, 2019. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Norm Moran, Pat Ryan, Leah Cheshire, John Stoll, Greg Wiseman, Charles Clendaniel, Bill Stafford, Paula Vargas, Jim Wilson, and Jeannie Aquino. Special thanks to Morgan Townsend with Shinedown for helping us to pull all of this together. Thanks to Colonel Mark Vandehei and Dr. Jim Picano for being our guest today. And thanks to Brent Smith, Eric Bass, Zach Myers, and Barry Kirsch from Shinedown for taking the time out of their busy schedule to come and share their insights with the NASA community and listeners of Houston. We have a podcast. We'll be back next week.